Um, so I want to uh, talk to you about a couple of things real quick. First, let me show you, we got a video of the building. This is actually about 10 or 12 days old. They've done a lot more since then, but let me just give you an update so you can see this. Uh, so they, they uh, you know, put a little with it this time. So this is in the sanctuary, our worship center. The problem is you can't tell dimensions, but it's a big space. It seats a thousand people if we want to put that many chairs in it. They're thick in the middle of construction right now. They're actually past all of this. It's all been completely drywalled now and mudded and taped. They've even started some painting in it. Ceiling height turned out really good. At 18 feet, we were happy with it and decided not to punch the ceiling to save some money. These are how big the nurseries are, but the problem with the video is you can't tell depth and width. You can kind of see, but they're huge rooms and they're split down into like each age group, something we've never been able to do before. So we've got them for ones and twos and threes, fours, fives. Uh, that's a fireplace, a huge fireplace right in the middle of the lobby. That's kind of like the main thing in there. And then it's a huge lobby where people will be able to sit all around it. Behind it, it's a see-through fireplace. Behind it is a coffee bar and a kitchen area. This is in the J Kids area, which, like I said, when this was taken, uh, it was before they finished the drywall, but now all the drywall's finished and they've actually built the stages inside of each of the uh, room. This is the teaching and training center, which is really the vision behind why we decided to sell our properties and go into a single location. Youth ministry has a huge, huge area that's all their own and nobody can take it from you anymore, bro. You don't have to share with anybody or mess up my sanctuary anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> he never did that they always took care of it and so I wanted to show you that just to give you an idea of where we are I counted it uh, standing over here to the side uh, if everything goes according to plan it may turn out to be a little bit sooner than this it could be a little bit later than this but the way that it sits today uh, it would be 11 weekends from today that we have our building right so it's finally countdown time to be able to say we can start marking them off, right? It'll get closer and get closer. Now, again, I, I have not announced what the opening day is, right? I haven't said it yet. I know what they're telling us, but they are ahead on the construction right now. So it may well be that we'll get the building in May. Uh, if you count the 11 weeks real quick, you're going to come up to the very first weekend in June, which is what they're saying right now. I think it's going to be May, but I can't guarantee that. And something could come along to stall it, so it could go a little bit later than that. But as of right now, we're looking at 11 weeks, um, and it will be soon, and it will be quick. So, uh, I want to update you, too, on our fundraising. Jeff, help me with this real quick. Let me show you something. This is the chair that will go in the sanctuary. Wouldn't you rather be sitting on this chair this morning? Wouldn't? Let me see. Maybe I'll just preach from right here today. It would take too long. It's a comfortable chair. Um, so here's what we're doing. You know that we, uh, I stood up three weekends ago and said that on March 6th, it's a deadline for us because the builder wanted us, we needed to raise $2 million. You, you here for that? You remember me talking about that? All right, so let me tell you what's happened, right? I haven't talked any more about it. I just, let's leave it out there. Let's see what happens. Uh, over the last three and a half weeks, uh, $800,000, a little more than $800,000 has been raised. That's tremendous. Some of you sit there and act like, when's the last time you raised $800,000? 
And if you say, I did it yesterday, write a check today then. Come on, man. Uh, so um, here's, here's what we thought. So we needed to, we raised 800000 That leaves a deficit of 1.2. We went to our bank and secured a loan with our bank for a million dollars if we need it. So that's 1.8. All we need is two, but hold on. I went to the builder and I said, this is what we have. Are you, can you accept this? This, you have your money. You can see that the money's there. We had to get a letter of credit from the bank and then show them that we had the cash, right? And so they accepted that. But guys, we do not want to take a loan for another million dollars. A payment on that is $4,000, depending on what interest does to, right? So it's $4,000 additional dollars. It takes money from what we can do in the kingdom. And I know you think, hey, isn't that the easiest way to go? It's not the easiest way to go. The best way for us to go is to pay cash for this. It is to pay cash. So I need to raise 1.2. And I'm trying, I know when I stand up here, we started this project and I'm, I'm trying to raise 11. And, you know, so many things, so many of you have given so much already. And I know I stand back up and you're like, enough already. It's, it's, it's not the, I was going to say it's the weakness of having to, to raise money, but it's not, it's, it's the way God chose for us to do it. We don't sell products, we don't raise prices, and we live in an economy that regardless of what it does, our God is who he is. And that's what we live by and that's what we trust. So I thought, how can I break this down? And a family in the church actually gave me what I thought was a, a good idea. It made sense to me. Because I know when I say even 1.2 million, not very many people in this room can write a check for 1.2 million dollars, or even half of that. Some of you can, but I'm not asking you to bear the brunt of this. I don't think it's equal gifts. I think it's just equal sacrifice. That everybody does something. Everybody get involved with it. If you're going to call this your church, be involved with us. And I'm not embarrassed to ask that of you. You shouldn't feel like, hey, I can come and go without any skin in the game. Get skin in the game, man. Come on. You'll get more out of this place. Anyway, you'll care more. It's more in your heart. So how can we break it down then? I took... We're buying 1,000 chairs, 800 for the worship center and 200 for uh, the youth group, right? And so um, they, if you take 1,000 chairs and then divide that by the 1.2 that we still have, it's $1,200 a chair. Would you buy a chair? Would you buy two chairs? Would you buy one for everybody in your family if you could? Now, some of you are like, I knew we shouldn't have that other kid. But... <laughs> How about for the ones that are in your house? We have three in our house right now. We have four, but he's, he's getting married and moving out, so we're not counting him. So we have three in our house, me, Chris, and Brent. I brought my check for my three chairs. So I want you to know I'm doing it. It's, it's here. I'll, I've got to save it for one more demonstration in the next service, and then I'll put it in the offering. But I, I'm, not doing, I'm not asking you to do something that I, we have given and given given out of savings, and then given we sold some stuff, and um, we're doing everything that we can, and I know you are too, and I, I just want you to know, I've gone to the pastors first, I was with my pastors this last week on Wednesday, did the same thing with them, explained the same thing to them, I won't embarrass them, Eric uh, already called me, Todd already called me, uh, had one other couple already called me, tell me the number of churches, uh, chairs that they're buying for the church. I, so I want you to know, I'm not asking you to do something that the staff is not committing to do too. And I know times are uncertain, which is all the more reason that our church needs to be doing what it's doing in the world right now. And so you, maybe you came today and say, Pastor, what are you going to talk about a little bit with, 
with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine this morning. I'll mention something. I, I would just, the biggest thing I would say to you, it's the proof that this is still a dangerous world. It's the proof you thought we were in globalization and we went backwards to the USSR when we were all kids. It's exactly what happened. It's the proof that the world can change overnight. And it's more the proof that the church is the praise in the earth that it needs to be in this day because we have the only answer. And as it gets darker, we are going to be more light than ever before. The light shines brightest in the darkness. Don't be afraid. Don't shake. Don't wonder. Put your faith in God and get your fanny in church. Yes! And get it in a nice chair like this right here. Now, if you're like, God, you're pretty forward with that, how would you do it? Right? Criticize me, but tell me how you'd do it. And if you have a better way, start a church. Go for it, man. I'll even seed you a little bit. And then love for you to tell me how you'd do it. We've been here for 24 years. We must be doing something right. Something right. Help me in this, please. I'm not begging, but I am laying it all on the line. We need to get this done. We're only $1.2 million away. Our church, if you get into this today, we will have this done in a week or two. I promise you, in a week or two, this will be done. Someone this week, too, listen to this, had a pretty large gift that came in from a family that doesn't even attend our church. This is what she told me, right? Sent an email to the church general mailbox that then came to me. And uh, she said, uh, she knows me, I know who she is, but they don't go to our church. And she said, Pastor, we actually heard the message on Facebook Live. Uh, They did attend a prayer thing with uh, Kathy and uh, said, uh, we we listened to the message on Facebook Live and um, we wouldn't have even known about it had we not heard it there. And she said, we believe that what Jubilee is doing is part of revival that needs to come uh, in our city, in our town, right? And so they sowed a super large gift. A family that doesn't even attend our church did that, right? Guys, it was so encouraging to me to have the Lord do that because I felt like, man, even people that aren't here, that aren't partakers of it, see what it's accomplishing and what it's doing. And she said, your church, it's a place where healing is breaking out. That's what she said. God is using your church for healing in our community. That's what she said. Uh, That wasn't me asking. That's what she told me. And I thought, man, that, (laughs) yeah, I'd want to be a part of that too. There is more. There's far more. The best days for all of us are ahead of us, not behind us. I promise you, not just talking. I've been saying that now for a couple of years as we go into this. So, would you pray about it? If you don't shake your head, you're not out of this. (laughs) Holy Spirit, for everybody that's not shaking their head, (laughs) would you bother them at nighttime? (laughs) Not in a bad way, in a good way. Bring revival to them and cause them to understand how important this is. Lord, the whole thing is yours. It's your, your project. It's not Pastor John's. It's not Jubilee's. It's yours. We're just being obedient to what you called us to do. And Father, I may use my personality in order to do this, but bottom line is the only reason I'm doing this is because you said it's time. You made it obvious. You put everything in place. It was supernatural. And Father, we stand at the end of this project right now. And prophetically, you said it would come in two parts. You said it. You gave me that word two years ago. And Lord, now we stand on the last part. And you said it would be more than enough. And so, Lord, I'm bringing it to the people that I think you would use. Maybe it is somebody out there listening to this message right now. 
Maybe you don't attend Jubilee. Maybe you uh, only attend through listening. However it is, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, man, I encourage you. Do what he tells you to do. Because the blessing of God is on the other side of obedience. I'm going to say it one more time. This is a word the Lord gave me several years ago that I have practiced in my life and it has paid such great dividends. Listen to me. Don't tune me out. Listen. Here's the word of the Lord. On the other side of obedience is the miraculous. On the other side of obedience is the promised land. On the other side of obedience is the thing that you're asking God to do in your life or for your family. Whenever we ask the Lord for something, generally an assignment comes to us first to see if we're obedient. I can't tell you if this is your assignment or not. I can tell you it is for me, and that's why I moved on it. But I can ask you to pray about it. See what the Lord tells you. And if he tells you to help, then please, now's the time. Now's the time. And thank you for listening. Thank you for all that you've done. I love you. I truly, truly love you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Jeff, you want to grab this? Or Jonathan, thank you. Okay, let's do this. I cut the message down, too, because I knew I was going to have to spend some extra time uh, talking about that. So I need to do this uh, very quickly. Because of teaching on marriage and relationships, which does it probably 80% or higher, 85 or 90% of our church are uh, people married or cohabitating, we do have singles in our church And of course, I'm always thinking of messages that I want to go across to everybody. But when I do hit on a message that I know is going to leave some of our people out, I'm always trying to like, okay, what can I say to them so that they don't feel left out in this time? And then inevitably, uh, this always comes through every time I teach message. Someone in our church is, uh, is listening and they've gone through a bloody divorce and it's been in some horrible situation. And then I'm standing up talking about how to make your marriage work and the importance of longevity, and, and to be passionate in the longevity, not just to be married for a long time, but to be passionate and commit yourself to each other. But I, I know how it works. And so I'll, I got a couple of messages this week. Pastor, am I, you know, do I, am I a pariah? Do I belong there? Uh, I went through that. It's almost like, and every time I have to say it, and I don't know if people don't hear it, so I'm going to take the time to say this. Listen to your pastor. In my family... With my daughter, we went through a divorce. I supported her because it was the only thing that could happen. There was not another way. We couldn't, it takes two people. It doesn't just take one person. My mother was in an abusive marriage with a man who beat the out of her on a regular, ongoing basis. My advice to my mom was, get out before you're dead. Get out before your grandchildren who weren't born yet don't ever know who you are. And I have to tell them a story about who you are. Sometimes that's necessary. And while I say that and you're sitting there thinking, do you believe in marriage? Now you go the other way. I believe in marriage. Do everything you can to save your marriage. We live our lives to try to show our church that you can have a long-term marriage and do it the right way and be passionately, crazy, madly in love with the woman of your youth. But if that didn't happen, then be passionately, crazily married with the woman you have now. (laughs) And if you don't have anyone, then be passionate, crazy, in love with Jesus. While God does whatever he's doing in your life. But don't listen to a message like, pastor's critiquing my life or my lifestyle. I don't ever do that. 
That's never my heart when I stand up to teach. Dude, out of, out of my heart is nothing but love for the people that come to listen. And I may preach like a, here's, here's like a level that I'm preaching at, and I may preach up to a level, not down to a level, but I'm trying to pull people up. And if you fall somewhere in between that, don't ever listen and go, I think he doesn't like me or I think he's judging me. That is never my heart. And in my own family, we've gone through this. And I can also tell you the other side of it, God can restore all things. He is a restorer. He gives the God of second chances. Do you believe that? And you better say amen because you've all needed them at least a hundred times. And only a, well, I won't even say it. So um, let me go this way. Uh, I read a quote yesterday that I actually uh, took a picture of and put in my notes for today. And I thought it was just like, here's, this is the last message in the series. And so um, I'm going to talk about prayer in marriage. And, and, um, what am I trying to do with this? Let me, let me just, I'll put it in one sentence. Um, what gives me any right to talk about this, right? Okay, being the pastor is one. Having authority is one. But moral authority to talk in marriage means that if you are doing your marriage right, then you can stand up without being a hypocrite mm-hmm. when you're talking, okay? So Chris and I are coming up on our 40th anniversary our 40th anniversary. Got married is, is, I'm not saying it for you to clap. Wait till the 40th and then you can clap. Um, <laughs> we got married very, very young. We were kids. Uh, you know, 19 and 18. 19 and 19. 19 and 19. I was called you 18. Gave you an extra year. 19 and 19. <laughs> and um, difficult. And all the things that you think in a young marriage uh, that can go wrong did. And yet the Lord got involved at an early, early age, and began to help us and change us. And it came in waves too. We didn't get it all in one time, and then we had a good marriage from that point on. We grew, and then we had to grow again, and then we had to grow again into each season that we came to. Marriage is seasonal. Like the seasons of the year that you have, summer and winter and fall and spring. I think marriages kind of go through. And so some of you sitting in here right now, listen to me. You're in a wintertime marriage. And so what does a wintertime marriage look like? It's cold. And you're hunkered down. And you know what a wintertime person doesn't need is to be kicked because they're in winter. I would never kick a wintertime marriage. I would never do that to somebody. Maybe you're in a spring marriage. What's a spring marriage? It's young. And it's vibrant and it's blooming. And you don't know what fall, you don't even know there is a fall. You're never going to get old. You're never going to have problems. You're having love. That's all you have, right? And that's awesome. And I bless you and I want you to stay here because when it comes out of summer, I want to help you. And maybe you are in a summer marriage right now. Maybe you're in the same place I am where you've learned things, right? And you know how to kind of, hey, I can adjust and I, we're at this point in our marriage and we've gone through some things and we've learned to come back together. And man, I bless you too. If I were to say where we are in marriage right now, I would say probably summer to fall, somewhere in there. The fall being that we're getting older now. And we're considering things in our life we never considered before. Like, what does our future look like? What will we be doing 10 or 15 years from right now? What's health look like? Both of our parents are in places where they're aging rapidly right now. And they need different kind of care. We've actually, it's funny because some of you will know this to be true. At one point, you're the kid, and there's a transition where you become the parent. 
And all of a sudden, you're helping with all the finances and making decisions for them. You're picking up medicines and making sure that they're taking them. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it has to be, like, reimagined. And, you know, one of the things that we've practiced and that I've learned and that I've taught in some of our marriage series is that when you're young, the things that work when you're young, what got you to that point will not get you to the next point. You have to learn new techniques. If you're trying to do all the things that you did when you first got married, they're great when you're 20 or 30. What about when you're 50 or 60 or 70? Terry said last week his mom and dad celebrating their 69th, right? 69th anniversary. Today? 68, sorry. 68th last weekend. Yeah, 68 years. I hope we make it 68 years. I do. They got married. She, they were 17 years old. 17. Think about that. You sleep with someone for almost 70 years, and then all of a sudden that person's gone. You see, life is just full of adjustments, isn't it, right? Bob? It's full of adjustments. Marriage is the same way. So when we teach on these things, I'm trying to like hit it from all places. Here's the quote that I read yesterday that kind of works into the message today. We waste time looking for the perfect lover instead of creating the perfect love. Read it one more time. Listen to the words. We waste time looking for the perfect lover instead of creating the perfect love. Some people are under the mistaken belief that there's only one person out there for them. And I have never believed, here's what I believe. Whoever you find, make the most of that relationship. Make it what you want it to be. Turn it into the thing that it's supposed to be. It's not automatic. Even if you get along well and you have a lot of things in common, you won't 20 years from now if you don't learn to adjust and grow and keep it as an important issue. We've made it a long time, not because we're compatible. We are the most opposite people in the world. Yesterday, I said, Chris, what things did we have in common when we met each other? The only thing we could come up with is that we both were believers. We like completely different music. She liked Christian music. I liked Rush and Led Zeppelin. She was like totally a church girl who sang at the Teen Talent. And I was robbing houses at a person point in my teenage years. I mean, we were so, so far away from each other, but what brought us together, there was a spark there. I do think that, like, having some type of a spark, right, some kind of chemistry is important, but then it's what you make of your marriage along the way that matters. It's making this person the love of your life. It's making this person your best friend. It's making this person the one that no matter what happens, no matter even what our children do, I choose you. And I will live and die with you. And when you do, I'm telling you, the way you go a long time is not that you pick the right one. It's that you make that person the right one. You make them the love of your life. You make them the love of your heart. And if you don't think that we've had to practice that and work at that and sacrifice, Eric, sacrifice to get there to deny ourselves of the thing that we wanted to go to, to lay our lives down for each other so that we get to this place where we love each other so intently and yet so, so maturely. I, can I share about our texts in the morning? Sure. Is that okay? 
It's one of the things that we practice. Now, you're going to think this is stupid. I should, I should have brought my phone and I could read them. No, it's probably good that I don't read them to you. Is that? <laughs> so I get up first. I get up early because I like to read. And it's my time to pray. The house is quiet. I'm like that. Chris is not that morning person. So I get out of bed, leave real quiet, close the door, let her sleep. And I go down and do my thing. When she wakes up, she always texts me. And it'll start something like this. Love of my life. How did you sleep last night? I'm so excited to see you this morning. Hearts, fire, kissy face. You know all the emojis, right? Of course, you're like a teenager. You better believe it. And then I write her back. My best friend, you are above all women in the world. There's no one who can compare to you. I can't wait to see you this morning. I am so excited for you to come down those stairs. Yes, I'm hungry for you. Ooh. What are you doing? I'm setting a precedent for how our day is going to go with us together. Dude, we are practicing love before we even eat breakfast. And you might go, that's stupid. I wonder how your marriage is doing. I wonder how your romance is. I wonder where your hearts are at. And you're like, well, I just think that's dumb. Do dumb things to get a different result. If you don't like the result you're getting, do something else. The height, they say, of insanity is to keep doing the thing you've always done, expecting you get a different result. Stop! Do something else then. Sacrifice yourself. Reach. Well, if she'd do it, I'd do it. You go first. It began with me sending her just little different emojis. It turned into a whole conversation. And you might think that is so silly. But man, it just puts the priority on this right here. No matter what else happens, this has to be okay. We can go through hell and back as long as this is okay. And if this isn't okay, so I'll say the cliche again. When this is right, there's nothing like it. And when this is wrong, there's nothing like it. Anybody know what I mean? Everyone married should have raised their hand. All right. Let me go. So, let me read these three scriptures to you. Deuteronomy 32.30. How could one person chase a thousand of them and two people put 10,000 to flight? So I'm just, I want you to see arithmetic here. One person can battle a thousand spiritually. Two people together, it multiplies times ten. There's power in multiplication. Stay with me. I'm going to show you something really cool. Go to the Ecclesiastes scripture real quick. Let's do that and then we'll come back to Peter. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. So two back to back can conquer. Look at this. Three. So we're multiplying. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. When you bring the Lord into your marriage. So the two of you, right? You're standing back to back and you're fighting the world. You're taking on all the things that come your way. You're protecting each other because you're vulnerable on your back. You can fight this way, but you can't fight that way. So you're standing back to back, maybe shoulder to shoulder, but let's call it back to back. You're fighting what is going on, whether it's the stuff happening in the world at large, whether it's spiritual stuff that's going on, whether it's stuff that's happening at your work or in your family. You're fighting together. The thing that the enemy wants is to put a division between the two of you so that you fight each other. Because when you fight each other, you can't even fight the enemy. You've got to recognize who the real enemy is in life. It's not your spouse. And how many people spend time fighting their spouse all day long? How do you know the enemy has gotten into your marriage? Let's go back to the very first marriage in history, Adam and Eve. 
when they're walking in unity with each other, everything's fine. But as soon as the enemy begins to speak to Eve and then works his way into Adam, the very first thing that happens is the Lord asks, did you? And she goes, well, the enemy. And he goes, well, the woman. And the Lord goes, what has happened to you? Division is the very first thing that happens when the enemy is working his way inside of your marriage. If you're in division and not unity, the devil is already inside of your marriage. What do you do? Turn away from fighting each other and turn together towards the enemy and handle the enemy in your life. And your spouse is not your enemy. You're not, you're not hearing me. The enemy is so crafty. The liar is so good that he tells a lie without you knowing you've been lied to. How do you know you've been lied to? You're suddenly at odds with each other. When you're at odds with each other and not in unity, I guarantee you, even if you can point to something that's happened, the enemy has gotten in there. He looks for those opportunities to draw a wedge between the two of you. Problems shouldn't separate you. They should push you together so that you fight together. One can put a thousand, two ten thousand, two together can conquer, and three can't be broken. Who's the third one? It's when the Lord comes, exactly, when God gets involved. But when you're at odds with each other, it's very hard to even sense the presence of the Lord in your life. So let me read you this scripture real quick. First Peter, in the same way, boy, this is big standing down here. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding, as you live together, she may be a weaker vessel, that's what it means, than you are, but she is your equal what? Look, that was the worst you've ever done. Okay, she is your, next two words. That was the best you've ever done. She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. This sentence. Treat her as you should, so, read it with me, your prayers will not be hindered. You're fighting each other. You can't even sense that the Lord is there and that's what makes it so difficult to pray. And even if you try to pray, when you're fighting with each other and divided it against you, your prayers are being hindered. The enemy is holding it down. You need to be in unity so that you're powerfully spiritually. Do you hear me? Hmm. Guys, sometimes it feels like when I talk... My words get jumbled and they don't, I, I don't know if it's getting out there. No, spiritually speaking, I know you hear my, me talk. For those who pray, would you just pray right now? I think these three scriptures are teaching two principles. I think the first principle is they're teaching is that together, you're powerful by yourself, you're a force. But together, you can conquer. Together, you can do far much more. And when you're together and you add the Lord to it, you cannot be broken. You are, I think the most powerful force on the earth is a married couple because when you're one, when you're one and the Lord is there, that force can do so much, spiritually speaking, man. And if you don't see your marriage on a spiritual plane, you're missing part of what God has for you. And if you don't think it's spiritual, how do you explain that your prayers are hindered when you're not together? It's a spiritual issue, isn't it? It's there. So let me talk about quickly my story with prayer in our marriage. Uh, I never had problems praying by myself. I could pray very eloquently by myself. 
but praying with my wife, dude, I'd rather face a bear in the woods <laughs> than have to pray out loud in front of my wife. Now, why was that? I, pride? You could say maybe that's it. I mean, maybe that was the real problem. Let me tell you what it really was. She was so good at spiritual stuff. She was raised that way. She was always talking about, man, we need to plead the blood of Jesus. We need to draw the bloodline around our family. We need to build a hedge. We need to keep the enemy out. You need to, John, take your plan. I'm like, uh, uh, go ahead. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> and I felt so intimidated on spiritual things. And I don't know why that is for men. Women seem to more easily take spiritual things and then and they get it quick. And they get the necessity of it, and they're comfortable with it. And men, it's not that men are against it. I was not against it, but I was not comfortable leading it. I was not comfortable, so I would let her lead it. I, and I didn't see it like I'm, I'm abdicating my place. I'm just, I just, you know, I, I, first of all, I don't know how to do it. And if I try to do it, it's going to sound stupid, and you're going to laugh at me. And, I, you know, I'd rather face a bear than be laughed at. That was what it was. To be disrespected... A man receives love through respect. It's the way you respect him. And that means all sorts of different things. It's not just one thing. But he feels that he's it to you when you respect him. And anything that would make him feel that you will disrespect him, laugh at him, or just like, you don't understand what you... I would shy away from him. And maybe that's why your husband's never taken that role in your marriage. Because he's... And here's really what, maybe this is the pride part. It's hard for me to say to my wife, I'm afraid that I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm not going to be a good leader. That's hard words to say. So it's easier to say nothing and let it go by default. Let my wife handle it. And man, she can pray. Dude, this woman, she's prophetic. She prays down fire. I mean, she's like Elijah, Moses, and Jesus wrapped into one package. And I'm like... There's times I will just come in and just like, I need you to pray for me. Just pray for me. She's just powerful in prayer. And I never felt like I was powerful in prayer. I feel like I'm powerful to, I'll go to work and I'll make money. And I'll do my part in our marriage and I love you. But, I, but there was just this challenge. And especially when we knew we were going to pursue ministry. I knew there was a level that God was calling me to in my life personally and in my family. And so let me just tell you three things that happened. The very first time that I decided I was going to do this, I grabbed her hands and I just was, you know, she closed her eyes and I kept my eyes open to see. I just didn't want her to laugh at me. Okay, Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus over all of my family today, my wife and myself and my children and we put on the full armor of God and we take our stand, Lord. We take our stand. Having done all to stand, we are standing. And Chris did the most amazing, magnificent, encouraging thing. Ladies, listen to me. She said out loud, Amen, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. She's, I feel like I know what I'm doing. I'm pretty good. This woman respects what I'm doing. Now I start praying louder. Lord, move in revival. God, we need you today. And Chris like, she's crying. Oh, Jesus. I'm the prophet. 
You think it's silly. And you, I, you know, I know, I know when I share this, you're going to think it's oversimplistic. So I'm just telling you, the fill in the blank on this one is encourage. Chris encouraged me. Encourage is a way to show respect to somebody. She encouraged me by doing these things. She said out loud while I was praying, yes, Lord, please, Father, amen. Over and over while I was praying, like what I was praying was important, like what I was praying was powerful, and it may not have been. I can't even remember exactly what I said, but my wife thought it was something spectacular, which encouraged me to take my place. And once you take your place, now you begin to get a little bit of confidence. She told me it was very powerful when I prayed. Now, if she said it was pretty when you prayed, I would have never prayed again. If she said, I smell the fragrance of heaven when you pray, I would have been like, I, no. Mm -mm. But she said, the, this is powerful. What man in here doesn't want to be powerful? I'd ask you to raise your hand, but you're obviously fighting me today. So, what man doesn't want to be powerful? Come on. We all want to be powerful. It's who we are. God made us that way. Yes or no? We don't mind a fight. You don't run from one. And you've got a spiritual one every day, man. Fight for your family. I'm, by the way, I'm not saying that women don't. Chris was awesome at this. She can fight too. And two of us fighting together don't get in our way. But I wasn't fighting. And now all of a sudden, I'm fighting. And when you put a man in the fight, there's a different... And I'm going to say it. When you put a man in the fight, something different happens. Well, you are sexist. So be it then. Here you go. <laughs> and then the most important thing happened. Listen to this. She encouraged me this way. She actually yielded the place she was in and gave me the place to lead. Now, so often, a woman through criticism thinks that she can motivate her husband to become the spiritual leader. Why don't you take the spiritual lead in this family? That will not get him there because he cannot say to you, I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm not sure what to do with that. I don't even know what that means. Plus, you pray better than I do. She moved out of the way as she encouraged me. She didn't say, take this place. She moved out of the way to allow me in. She would start asking me, what do you think? What do you want to pray about today? And while I was praying, she would say, remember Brent? Yeah, and we pray for Brent today. Remember the people in our church? Yes, you're right. And the people in our church, Lord. So she doesn't take the place. She gives me the place. And I know the problem is that when a man doesn't take the place, the woman has to take the place in order for spiritual things to get done in the family. But if you ever want your husband to move into that place, you've got to learn to encourage him. And then as he's stepping in, you have to be willing to give him his place. I'm not saying that you don't have a place. Give him his place. You have your place next to him but give him a place. Let him arise to that place in leadership. And if you don't get this, dude, I'm telling you, you've got to get this. You've got to get this. This is everything. So I, what qualifies me to say this is everything? Because I, we're married almost 40 years in an awesome, passionate marriage. Not a perfect marriage. Plenty of problems. She married me. Plenty of problems. <laughs> Plenty of fights. Plenty of tussles, plenty of things that we... I'm not denying in any way that we're not real. But we have an awesome marriage. My children think we have an awesome marriage. And now my grandchildren think we have... A, 
It's heritage. It's the heritage of the servants of the Lord that you pass these things. You want to do these things so that you can pass them on to your children and your children's children. Hear me on this, man. This is important. It matters. All right, here's the... You know, I said it was a short message and I get up here and off I go. Terry, quit shaking your head over there. Pastor Terry, every time, John, it's taking you so long. Even Daniel makes a joke about it last time he's preaching. (laughs) All of you shut up. Give me my place. Here's the second fill in the plank. John understood his place. It's easy. Gents, listen to me, men. It's easy to let your wife take the spiritual lead. It's easy because you don't want to have to risk it. You can sit on your biscuit and let somebody else do it. Listen. <laughs> I didn't have that in my notes. It just came to me while I was, while I was going here. The next service isn't going to get that because Pastor Terry will come and correct me on that too. So it's easy to let your wife take the spiritual lead. Listen, listen, men, listen. When I realized that I am the covering for my family, let me give you a better word, I am a shield for my wife and for my children. I brought my golf umbrella. Forgive, it says Titleist on it. So, baby, come here. So when you're not in your place, you're fighting together. But the enemy, the Bible says he is shooting fiery darts at you. That's what it says, fiery darts. What will stick? What will catch fire? What will burn you? When you stand in your place, it is like a covering that you can stand in the authority of God to extinguish much of the fiery darts of the enemy by the faith you're exhibiting as the covering of, and then you put your children under it too. And then you put your grandchildren under it. And I'm not saying that your children, your wife, uh, will never have any problems. I'm just saying taking your place, you are trying to fight the enemy. I stand in this place. I do it willingly. I do it wantingly. I do it knowing that I'm trying to keep the enemy back. I won't surrender them. They've got to be protected. Yes, I feel that way. Yes, she feels that way. She protects too. And I know while I'm preaching this, some of you are hearing it and you're not at this place. Spirit, Chris, thank you. You're not at this place spiritually in your life. I'm not trying to make you feel like exasperation or like I can never get there. Stop that. You can't. I am the most ordinary, average. I get put on a pedestal because I'm the pastor. I, I struggle. I fail. Someone broke into the building this week. I don't know if I want to tell this story. Too late. (laughs) Let me say this. The people who are perpetrating these crimes in our communities, if they would spend the same time going out and doing legitimate work, you put the same amount of work into legitimate work, you'd probably make a lot more money. You probably would, and society would be a lot better. Nobody here, but I just had to say that. Now, uh, somebody broke into the building, and Pastor Todd calls me early in the morning, John. Somebody broke the but they didn't do any damage to us, but they stole a bunch of the tools of the workers. One, one guy lost more than $6,000 worth of tools. I know, I know, I know. I'm like, it's a church. <laughs> it's a church. But that really doesn't mean a lot, does it? Someone who's desperate is going to do desperate things. So Todd calls me early in the morning and um, says, I just want you to know we're on top of it, but I just want you to know. 
And I just am like, ah, hang the phone up, and I said a bad word. How many of you want to know what the bad word was? <laughs> that part I'm not telling. <laughs> said a bad word, right? The only reason I'm even telling you this is like, and if you can't hear your pastor saying a bad word, that's why I didn't tell you what it was, because it might just be <laughs> darn. Or one level below that. I, dude, I had to learn all of these things. I wasn't born with all of these things. I had to learn all these things, and I still fail. And there's times I don't take my place, and there's times Chris has to say, John, who are we? Yeah, you're right. And then there's times I say, I don't, I don't want to know who we are. But then I come back around. I'm just I'm trying to be real with you right now, right? I don't, I'm not trying to present myself as some spiritual giant, got it all together, and I never fail. I fail, but I've also learned to do these things. And when I'm in my place doing my thing, dude, we are powerful yeah. together. We, through 24 years, have remained. We are the longest-serving pastors in this community. Yeah. Not a church in this community that has a pastor that's been here longer than I have been here. How about that? Yeah. What is, look at me. You would not have pointed like... That'll be the guy that'll be here the longest. <laughs> you wouldn't have said that, would you? would be like, that guy, good Lord. <laughs> and what is that? I'm not saying I'm anything, but together in the Lord, dude, we're powerful. We're unstoppable. We are unstoppable. Not because we're anything, but because in God we are everything. We are everything. And we have good people with us and around us and a church that gets it. Many things go into that. John understood his place. Here's a big one. I realized I have authority. Recently, um, what time is it? I'm 547 in deficit, 1018. Terry, if I get you out of here at 1025, will you be happy? Will you be happy today, Terry? Will you be happy? 1030. Okay. You know, I'm playing with, Terry's one of my best friends in the world. He always encourages me. Um, right now, God is using Jubilee, one of the ways healing is breaking out here. Yeah. We literally are seeing, he, we need to get up and talk more about what God, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal what God is doing right now. And um, in the middle of that, uh, our staff is going through the worst three months we've ever gone through. And the Lord gave me a word going into this time that I went to the staff with. And the word that the Lord told me was, the enemy is looking for who he can sift. He is going to be looking for who he can sift. God only gives us words not to put us in fear, but so that we can combat what the enemy is doing. So this is really important. When you get a word, if it makes you afraid, you're on the wrong side of the word. It's to, put you, it's to position you in the right place so that you can hide yourself from evil. Okay, so I get this word, the enemy is looking to sift. And the Lord told me, make sure he starves to death. He's looking for whom he can devour, make sure he starves to death. So I go to my staff and I say, look, I don't know what this fully means, but we're still sitting in our other building, in the sanctuary, got the whole staff there. And literally, Kathy, Chris, Ames, Ryan, Rebecca, Jonathan, is this not true? At that meeting where I'm telling them this is going on, that very meeting, COVID breaks out. In that very meeting. And from that time to this point, some of our staff has had it three times. Most have had it twice. Listen to what I'm saying. And it's been crazy. Pastor David Melson has a sinus infection. He's been sick for three months. 
It's got a sinus infection right now. Not even antibiotics are hitting it yet. The doctor told him it's black in there. So why am I sharing this with you? Listen to me very quickly. The person that gave the large gift that doesn't go to our church flows in different churches where healing's going on. And she sent me a thing that told me every church that God is using right now in healing, the staff is dealing with huge sickness. Red Rocks, Pastor Sean, was just diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So like five churches, let me come down here and talk to you. Terry, this may take a few more minutes. <laughs> this is serious. So I'm up here having fun and preaching to you and trying to motivate you, but let me, let me talk about why you really need to do this, because you have an enemy that is looking to take you out. He wants your marriage. He wants your children. Look at me. I'm not trying to make you afraid. I'm trying to tell you the truth right now because you can do something about this. He wants you. He has no, he doesn't attack you and then feel mercy for you. Putin is a child compared to the devil. Dude, he will shell and shell and keep on shelling. And when he's got you ground to a piece, then he will come and step on you. He will not let up, he will not let go. And Christians, they take it. They just try to survive it. Go on a vacation or take medication. And not, nothing against medication or vacations. I do vacations whenever I need to take them. But there's a spiritual part that you can play where you have authority. The authority in Jesus. What Jesus has done for you, part of the resurrection in defeating the devil was to give his church authority to fight the enemy and tear down the works of Satan. Amen. So that we move in this area of healing and the enemy tries to come in the back door. You want healing? Let me make you sick then. What's it designed to do? To get us to give up. Okay, fine. We won't go after this. Leave us alone. No! No! Now I'm going to pray harder. Now I'm going to fast. Now I'm going to surround and I'm going to teach this to my people. And I'm going to tell you, take your place. Stand with me right now. Fight the devil. And if you've never taken your place, stand up in the name of Jesus and tell the enemy, no more. If you're like, what's wrong with you? I am mad about this, man. And if you're like, I don't know if I like this church. There's 10,000 you can go to that'll sit up there and tell you three points in a poem. But you will not get that here. I will come down here, I will poke you, I will prod you, I will push you, but I will not let the devil have you. I won't do it. I will not. I will fight for you. I will treat this like it's real. I will treat what Jesus did as though it was true. And that what we do right now matters. So I need you to pray for us. Uh, Listen to me. I need you to pray for us. We need hands on deck right now. Stand up and start praying for your pastors. And pray over you too, because we're praying for you. And ask the Lord to put the blood of Jesus around us, because the devil hates the blood of Jesus. They overcame him by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Lamb. We don't talk about the blood of the Lamb, because we're afraid we'll offend people. We got nothing else. If you came here because the preacher's tall, man, are you disciplined? Come here, because Jesus is in this place. And he's saving people today. And he's delivering people today. And he's healing people today. Listen. He's setting captives free. Children. 
Children are loving Jesus and they're going to grow up and they're going to preach the gospel. The future is not in bad hands. The future is in good hands. I'm excited about the future. I'm not worried about tomorrow because I know the end of the story. And we win and the devil loses and I want to be on the winning side. Come on. Come on. So we get ourselves in these places where we get afraid and we back down and we cower and we're afraid. Stand up. Come on. Take your place, man. Whew. I'm getting too old. There's going to have to be a younger generation because the pastor's getting too old. Good Lord. Okay, I'll finish. The last fill in the blank. The power of three. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, which we read it, but let me just show it to you. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person can reach out and help them, get them up. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? And a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Two people together agreeing on anything. Jesus said they can have that thing in his name. And when you invite him into it, he is a cord that wraps around you so that division can't happen, so that the enemy can't penetrate it. It doesn't mean the devil doesn't try, but that we stand in our authority. You cannot have my family. You can't have my health. You can't have my life. You can't have my youth group. You can't have the men. You can't have the men. You can't have the women. You can't have my pastors. You can't have my pastor's children. he can't have your children and he can't have your marriages and he can't have your grandchildren and he can't have your jobs and he loves to keep you in a place where you're just complacent or I'm just trying to survive oh my God in the good sense oh my God raise up people who are not complacent anymore get mad but don't be complacent Do not be complacent. We live amongst a generation of complacency. Come on, God. Inviting God to be a part of your marriage. I'm going to do something that's really bold. You probably were not prepared for it, but you came to church, so you should have been. If you're sitting with your spouse, I want you to grab their hand. I want you to look at them. I'm going to pray over you, but look at them while I'm praying. Don't close your eyes. Don't shrink away. I choose you. You don't have to say it. I'm praying for you. But you're saying to this, I choose you. You. I side with you. I put you above everything else. I'll fight with you and I'll fight for you. And if it cost me everything, then it was worth it. Because you're worth everything to me. You're everything to me. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor of the Lord. And the most favor I've ever known from God is you. When I see you, I know that God is for me. And I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. And I've messed up. I've blown it and I will again. But I want you to know that my heart is to do right. My heart is to do what I'm saying, what Pastor John is saying. It's to do those things. I want to take my place. I want to learn how. Maybe it seems like I'm a long way from that. But I want to do it. And if I've let it go by neglect, I'm sorry. Encourage me. Tell me I can do it. 
choose me too? Fight with me? I'm sorry that the enemy's ever divided us. I'm sorry if we sit here this morning and there's division between us. I don't want any division between us. I want Jesus to wrap around us and be that third cord. I want to be eloquent like Pastor John is (laughs) when he prays. (laughs) And I love you. And if you're a young person or you're single in here, you're not left out. The Bible says that God is the husband to the widow, the widower. That someday when you are married, may this present to you a picture of what you're supposed to do but I believe this with all of our heart that if the marriages in the church are strong the church is strong and if the marriages in the church are hurting and weak the church is hurting and weak so go the people so goes the church so goes the leadership so goes the church and our God is calling us to something so much more so much more God we hear you calling and we say yes yes Lord Come on, church. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We're listening. Yes, Lord. Thank you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.